are now entering female founder world with your host, Jasmine Grindsworthy. Welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jasmine. I'm so excited to chat with you because I've read a tweet about what you're building at Hero Cosmetics, and I just thought that your approach to building a business was really interesting. So for people who haven't read it, this is the tweet. It says, how do you build a $100 million plus brand? You build a case study that is repeatable and scalable, like how Hero Cosmetics did with Amazon. One skew on Amazon, then a few skews, then one skew at Target, then more skews, one skew at Ulta, then a whole shelf, rinse and repeat to one billion. That's what we're going to focus on today because I just love that approach of really narrowing down and focusing on one channel and what works, figuring it out, and then expanding out from there. Yep. So just before we started, you were telling me that Hero Cosmetics is selling one patch every three seconds. I think, you know, you're best known for the Mm -hmm. pimple patches. That's what people will recognize you for. And that you you did over a hundred million in revenue last year. So congratulations. Yeah. It was a huge milestone year for us, for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Before we kind of dive into what that blueprint is and like how it works, let's give people a little bit of context. I know that you kind of came up with the idea when you were in Korea and you were walking around seeing people with stickers. Can you tell us like what it was that you saw and how that opportunity kind of came about? Yeah, it comes from a personal place because I always had the tendency to break out. And I mean, I was using what was available to me, which is really those pink creams and the white creams and things. But when I used the hydrocolloid acne patch, I mean, literally, it was such a game-changing discovery because uh, it was it effectively absorbed the gunk out of my pimple. I saw it on the patch. My pimple was flattened pretty much immediately. It's so satisfying, isn't it? <laughs> it's so satisfying. And I mean, yeah, I've, you know, it's like you can't help. And it's, it's what makes it go viral on social because you can't help but show it. Mm-hmm. And so... When I had that experience, and it sounds like you've used them before, um, I just, you know, it was like, oh my God, this product, is, <laughs> it works so well and more people need to know about it. I need to tell more people about this product. Uh, and that's really how that idea for Mighty Patch came about. And then before you launched the brand, what was your career experience leading up to this? What were you bringing kind of to the table? Uh, I have more of a corporate background. I got my MBA at Columbia Business School, and then I started out um, my career in brand management at Crafters Mondelez. So I was working on the Planters brand, and then I switched and went to American Express. Uh, I also worked at Samsung, which is the experience that took me to Korea, which is where I stumbled upon uh, and used my first hydrocolloid acne patch. So I always joke that I work for really big companies, but but I, um, in my job as a founder, I still leverage all those corporate experiences actually for um, even my startup job. How much, you know, how much did you learn through your MBA that's informing how you're running the business now? Because, you know, you're a significantly sized business now. Has, or has it been more learning on the job? Like, did that really like provide a lot of value to you? Uh, I mean, a lot of it is learning on the job, but you know, the, the reason why I took, I went to Columbia business school is because I'm not a finance person and I actually wanted to get smarter in finance. Uh, and Columbia is strong about, is strong in finance. So, um, uh, that's why I went there and I mean, accounting, which was such a painful class for me, but I learned so much was, um, it was, it, it helps me every day in my job because I'm reading a PL uh, very frequently. We're always talking about like 
gross margins and EBITDA and, you know, cost to cut and things like that. And so um, that's the one thing that I really learned in business school is how to read um, financial statements and how to use that really to operate your business. So uh, that's something that, yeah, I, uh, that was really key. I'm really interested in what specific classes were most, most helpful. I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, I can't do a full MBA, but maybe I can pick and choose a couple of classes to take and learn. So you did the yeah. accounting class. What else was helpful for you? Uh, I mean, marketing classes, I think, if, especially if you're in consumer, I think that's going to be mm. really helpful. You learn about, um, uh, yeah, like the four P's and like, your mm-hmm. branding and your messaging and how to relate to consumers. Um, if there were a class on social media, I would take that. Mm-hmm. I think that would be really interesting, um, especially in this new world of TikTok and short form video uh, and content and stuff. I think that would be, yeah, I think that would be really yeah. I would love a structured class on that for sure. Um, I feel like there's a lot of coaches and people trying to Mm -hmm. teach you the framework, but I don't think anyone's like really figured it out into like a really structured class. Okay. So let's go back to the early days of the business. I know that you have two co-founders in the company now. Did you approach them with the ideal? How did you guys all come together? Uh, I knew them before. So, and I always tell people you should never have a co-founder that you've never actually worked with before because I've seen that go really bad. Um, We had worked uh, before together because they, I worked at a company and they had a digital agency and I had hired them to build a website. So some experience working together, became friends. And it's just, you know, it's one of those startup stories where I was having dinner with one of them and I told them, hey, I have this idea. Uh, it's this acne patch product. I think it would do really well in the US. And he said, okay, if you want to do it, I'll do it with you. And he roped in his brother and then we were three. Um, and I mean, but looking back, it works out because I think we have really complementary skill sets. So I love the innovation. I have the marketing background, uh, corporate background. Um, and then uh, one of the co-founders, he's a designer, so he's a creative person. Uh, so like the branding and the photography and um, the packaging, that's all his domain. And then the third, he's um, his background is actually, he's a technical engineer. So anything like data, supply chain, optimization, efficiency is perfect for him. So um, just with the three of us, we were able to stay bootstrapped for a long time because I think we covered big chunks of the company just on our own. Yeah. I mean, because you hear of like companies starting with like multiple co-founders and I can, I can see how you'd be in the moment and think this is a, this is a really big founding team, you know, but then actually if you're bootstrapping, which you guys did having that skill set and that, that, you know, Mm -hmm. seniority as well, you know, you had established careers and bringing that skill set together. That's really strong. A lot of founders I speak to specifically say that they wish they had someone on their team who was a creative. Yes. Yes. Yeah, because it's so important when you're creating, mm-hmm. you, know, you want to create a beautiful brand like that. But yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so much money goes into it in the early days. Yes. Finding a branding agency, and that can be somewhere where you sink a lot of money before you even know if your idea works. Totally. Yeah, 100% agree. So let's talk about launching on Amazon. It's 2017. And I'm really interested in why you didn't build your own website, why you decided to launch with one SKU on Amazon. We were bootstrapped, so we had limited funds and launching on a website, it costs money to hire the developer and the designers and uh, you got to figure out fulfillment. And um, 
and we, you know, didn't want to do that because we knew it was going to be sort of a big money suck. So we um, launched on Amazon because where else can you find hundreds of millions of potential consumers? Um, where else is it pretty easy to get up and running with minimal cost? And uh, I mean, also, I already knew that people were looking for this type of product on Amazon. Uh, there are some tools that you can use to download, like search terms and things like that. And uh, I knew that people were already looking for acne patches. And so, you know, the demand was there. The setup was going to be easier. It was going to be cheaper. And so it just made a lot of sense for us to start on Amazon. And were you doing Fulfilled by Amazon or were you doing Fulfillment yourself? In the very, very beginning, we did it ourselves, And then we switched over to, yeah, FBA Fulfilled by Amazon because that, uh, I mean, it was really the only way back then to be able to get the Prime tag, the Prime two-day shipping. Uh, and that is a big uh, mover for your business because I, re I remember in the early days, there were there are a few days where we lost that badge for some reason. And the difference between having prime and not having prime was like, I don't know, like two, you know, it'll, I think sales decreased by like 50% or something like that. So people oh, really, wow. yeah, they're really trained to look for that prime badge because they want it like, they want it now. They want it fast. Well, I think about, I think about what, when I'm shopping, I definitely, if it's not, um, if it's not kind of coming to me within a day or two, I definitely yeah. keep scrolling to try and find an alternative that is. Yeah. So yeah, that checks out. And what were those tools you mentioned? Is one of them I think is like Jungle Scout. Is that right for the SEO yeah. tools or the or this, the Amazon search tools? Is there anything else that you can recommend just for folks who haven't done this before and want to check it out? Oh gosh, uh, I can't remember them off the top of my head. There are a few, but yeah, Jungle Scout is the one that we mm -hmm. used in the very beginning. Yeah, perfect. Great. Yeah. Okay. So you've launched one SKU. How are you driving traffic to that product? I, I, I can hear people, you know, asking out loud as they're listening to this. Cool. Like launch a product on Amazon, then what? Like it's not, you know, yeah. not necessarily being seen yeah. by all of those um, customers on Amazon. What were you doing to drive traffic to that product? So a few things. So one is working within the Amazon ecosystem and Amazon is a kind of search engine because it's kind of like Google where, you know, someone types in a product and usually people are not typing a brand name. Most people are typing in the product uh, category. So they'll be, they'll say, they'll type in like uh, face cleanser or they'll type in body wash or they type in acne patch. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's a lot about optimizing your page to make sure that your, your keyword setup is correct. So you're hitting the keywords that people are looking for. So that's one. The second piece is leveraging the ad platform within Amazon. So they have um, sponsored products, sponsored brand. They have all sorts of like video assets that you can leverage now. Um, but really you should start with sponsored products uh, and you um, have an ad campaign strategy so that anytime someone searches for that keyword, your product is going to show up as an ad in that first row. And then the last part was just uh, taking all the external um, kind of marketing channels and pointing them all to Amazon. So for us, it was press, it was influencers. We had actually a website, but that website pointed to Amazon. Um, we had, you know, Instagram pointed to Amazon. Everything at that time pointed to Amazon because it was, it was the only channel that we had. 
And is it kind of that thing where as you start kind of, because you're directing everything to that one channel, Amazon is also, you know, prioritizing you in the algorithm and ranking. Is that how it works? That's right. Well? Yeah, yeah, because the, I mean, no one really knows how the algorithm works, but uh, it's really, you know, the more you sell, the more you'll increase in those search results. Uh, the goal really is to get to, well, first the goal was to get to page one, the first page of search results. And then from page one, um, uh, you want to keep moving up so that you're the first uh, result in in the search results. And actually, even with that, like the difference between number two and number one is huge. Like you wouldn't um, think so, but yeah, like people just have the habit of buying like the first product that shows up. Um, and yeah, and then it's, oh, the other thing I forgot to mention was reviews. You have to get reviews because these days, like, you know, like the review is so much validation. I, like, I don't, I always, you know, when I'm looking on Amazon, I look for products that have the highest reviews. So, yeah, uh, and the most reviews. So that's going to be an important part of the strategy. And how are you getting those reviews? Are you doing gifting for, like, how does that work? They have, they do have a, a program called Vine where you can um, work with Amazon and ship out, uh, like we've done like 200 products to people in their network and um, they try your product and they leave a review. Uh, the other thing that we did was we tapped into our friend network, friends and family mm -hmm. network. I uh, sent an email, asked everyone to buy the product and to leave us a review after using the product. Um, and, and then there are like tools uh, where you can set it up so that you're asking the Amazon customer who buys your product to leave you a re review, I don't know, like five to seven days after they got the product. Uh, so it's like an email flow that you can mm -hmm. add on uh, to secure more reviews. Awesome. It sounds like you are, you know, you've been running the business for a while now. Amazon's a big channel, all of that, all of that. But it sounds like you're really fluent in all of the Amazon marketing tactics. Who on your team was coming to the business with that acumen? Were you guys, were you learning as you were doing it? Was someone on the team experienced in this? How did it go? We learned, we learned on the fly. Yeah. Really? Okay. That's it was just Googling. Yeah. yeah. And there are a lot of forums. It's, there's a really big community of Amazon sellers. I know there are like Facebook groups and things like that. Um, and we just all learned on the go. None of us had any experience before. Oh, I love that story because I think a lot of people are, um, I don't know, a bit daunted by Amazon and mm -hmm. thinking that they need to work with a consultant or something to get it done. But it's good to yeah. know that, you know, Googling can get you there. Yeah. <laughs> and you launched the business with $25,000, something like that. How are you yep. kind of spending, how are you spending that money in the early days? So roughly half of it went to inventory. So mm -hmm. probably spent like 10 to $12,000 on inventory and getting it over. Then the other, then we had, I don't know, like 10 to $12,000 left, probably saved about $5,000 for marketing, I want to say. Uh, and then maybe the rest would be like setup fees, um, you know, like paying the lawyer to be, to get us mm -hmm. incorporated and things like that. So it's probably roughly how we split it. Okay. And okay. I have to ask this. Do you think that that formula of launching with one SKU on Amazon, do you think that that would still work now? Has the landscape changed? Has Amazon become more competitive? What do you think? Amazon for sure has become more competitive. When we launched, 
it was almost sort of, um, you know, they would say like blue ocean because there just weren't that many acne patch products on Amazon. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I consider ourselves a category creator. And, but now when you search, I mean, it's like pages and pages and pages. So, yeah. um, and also I think COVID, I think there are a lot of Amazon skeptics out there. Uh, and then because of COVID and how we've seen people really gravitate towards Amazon, a lot of people, I think, um, have started to see Amazon as a really attractive place to build a business. Um, so it is definitely more crowded. I think the one skew works well, um, just because again, like you, it takes, so it takes, it's like being good at a thousand different things, um, uh, to be successful on Amazon. And I think once you learn it with one skew, again, it's easy mm-hmm. to replicate those learnings to additional SKUs later. But if you're starting out, uh, I would probably pick a category that maybe is not as competitive, stick with one SKU, uh, gather your learnings, create that playbook, and then apply it to uh, additional SKUs later. At what point did you launch your own e-commerce store? And what were kind of some of the metrics that made you think, okay, like now this is working, we can invest more and, and have our own shop? Yeah, we launched uh, D2C. So we launched Amazon September of 2017. And then we launched on Amazon July of the following year. So what is that like? Not roughly nine months later, we launched D2C. And um, I mean, it was, you know, I think it was time for us to build out like rather than just being like an Amazon business, we wanted to build a brand. And part of building yeah. a brand was um, really having our own website. And, you know, we, at that point, we had um, the money in the business to be able to yeah pay the, de- the developer, pay the designer, et cetera. And so uh, we kind of staggered, yeah, the launches because we did Amazon retail and then D2C. Um, but we always knew that at some point in the journey, DDC was going to be really important. Awesome. And do you like, you know, for the next couple of SKUs that you launched, did you also launch them on Amazon first? Did you launch straight onto your e-commerce store? Like, were you replicating the same formula or did you adjust it as you launched new SKUs? So now what we do is we launch everything on DDC first. Yeah. because we can uh, get the immediate feedback, we get the data, we own the customer, and also it's our brand home. So mm-hmm. you know, we want everyone and all our products to be on DDC. Uh, then from there, it'll probably go to Target. Uh, and then uh, usually shortly after, I think right now, like the strategy is, like maybe three months after DTC, that product will um, live on Amazon. So we try to stagger it to give each channel like their moment. So DTC mm-hmm. first um, and launching on DTC first is actually really good because we educate, we do the education so that when people find it at Target, they already know what it is or when they um, see it on Amazon, they already have some familiarity with it. Uh, so that's the idea there. I'm like a drill sergeant here, just throwing questions at you because it is, I just think you have so much knowledge and it's so interesting. So sorry for just throwing all of the questions at you, but when you're launching a new product now, like what are some of the marketing activities that work for you? You guys doing SMS is paid a really Mm -hmm. big part of the strategy. What's moving the needle? 
Um, I mean, social is huge because the social team's creating buzz and they're doing, mm -hmm. um, uh, they're like dropping hints and they're creating that buzz. Then we do a lot of work with influencers, um, uh, using them for UGC that we can turn into ads, but also for them to talk about the, this new product on their own channels. Actually, we're launching a product next week and Michaela, I saw that. <laughs> um, the fit, yeah. And Michaela, um, on TikTok, she didn't realize it was launching next, next week. So she actually kind of launched it, uh, uh, a week early, but, Ooh. but influencers are like her, uh, are amazing because they really drive uh, viewership and interest. And I mean, in this case, we created a waitlist last minute. So she's driving uh, waitlist signups. So influencers, I think working with the right influencers is critical. Uh, and then uh, there's also a layer of paid ads. So you'll see it on uh, TikTok ads or Instagram ads. You'll see it on Google. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, it's sort of like multi-channel, right? But uh, mm -hmm. the idea is they all work together. Um, and, you know, like, for example, Michaela did the post and then my team, the paid ads team, they're quickly like creating campaigns because we know that people are probably now seeing the video and searching for us. And so we're creating campaigns so that we can capture that interest. Awesome. And is your paid team in-house? Do you work with an agency? How do you approach that? We do paid media in-house. Yeah, we have a few in-house capabilities. So Amazon is one, paid media and design uh, we do in-house. Um, and, you know, I think for companies as you, it's very normal to work with external consultants in the beginning. And then as you grow up, it's nice to have some of those things in-house uh, to own it as a capability. Awesome. Okay. I have just thrown all of the questions at you about like how you're, how you're scaling and how you got traction in the early days. I want to talk a little bit more about some of the resources that you recommend. You are a leader. You've built a big business. Are there books, podcasts, groups that you're a part of, something that's kind of like helped you level up as you've been leveling up the business? Yeah, I mean, it changes. I and mean, our business has scaled so fast. So in the beginning, um, uh, other founder, your founders network is going to be critical. Uh, yeah. I have a founders network. We have a Slack group and we're always, you know, asking advice and, Hey, do you have an agency for this? Or do you know a consultant for that? Or what, you know, what are you doing? We're getting sued for accessibility. What do you do? So, um, having, uh, finding a really good founders network is critical. Um, I, what else? I mean, podcasts, yeah, I mean, I, I'll listen to like the typical ones, like How I Built This or mm -hmm. Pivot. Um, I really like, uh, I read a lot. I read a lot of names. Like I read trade um, newsletters. Uh, I read the Wall Street Journal. I, I'm just trying to keep my finger on the pulse in terms of what's going on in business, uh, yeah. which I think is important. What kind of trade journals are you reading? So because we're in the beauty and personal care space, WWD, CW, yeah. Beauty Matter, Beauty Independent, uh, GCI Magazine, those are a few. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. I'll also put all of those in the show notes in case anyone wants to like just click and, um, and subscribe and learn more about them. I am really <laughs> curious to know what your, what your day looks like now versus when you were first starting. What are you doing day to day? 
it changes a lot. I mean, you know, my job changes every six months because, I, you know, you, before I used to be the social media person, I used to be the copywriter, mm-hmm. I used to be the um, the product development person, the, you know, the head sales person, the marketing person. Um, and yeah, I, I literally be in there like uploading Instagram posts and writing the copy and stuff, but I, yeah, I don't do that anymore. Uh, so now I, I'm in a lot of meetings. Um, mm-hmm. I do a lot of uh, things like this, like podcasts and PR to really advocate the brand and really um, grow sort of brand awareness. I still work on innovation, which I love. I really love like the product development piece and having an idea and helping it come to life. Uh, a lot of financial planning. So working with my finance team to make sure like business, um, like, you know, we financially, we know where we are and where we're going. Um yeah, I'm thinking a lot about uh, end of this year and next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what are we going to do, you know, Q3, Q4, and what does next year look like? Uh, so those are some of the things that I work on. When did that switch happen where, you know, you went from being the person uploading the content and writing the copy to this, you know, more of a like a CEO kind of role? When did that happen? Like at what point in your revenue? Uh, I mean, it's always... It's a gradual transition, right? Um, uh, But most significantly, it probably happened last year when I hired our VP of marketing because now she really manages and runs the the marketing team and a lot of the nitty-gritty and that's feed up a lot of my time to work on other stuff. Um, And we were probably like 30, 30 million going to 100 like that. Yeah. yeah, around like 30 million ish. Awesome. That's really interesting to know. And the last thing I want to ask you, you know, you're obviously a visionary. You can see trends. You spotted this sticker that people were using in another country and thought, hey, let's bring this to the United States. Is there anything that you see out there now that you think is a really interesting opportunity and not even necessarily in beauty in any category that you just think someone should do something here? Or are you like pretty laser focused on on what you're building? You know, there are, I, I mean, I think there are a lot of interesting products that I see. Um, like I see the, you know, like the tablet format or the sort of waterless format uh, concept, mm-hmm. I think, uh, I don't know, could be a really big category. I'm not really sure, but as people start thinking more about sustainability, um, mm-hmm. I think that's interesting. I mean, I live in France, I live in Paris. And so there are things that I see here. Uh, and sometimes I'm like, oh, why, you know, maybe this would be successful in the US. So for example, um, there's a frozen foods store called Picard. Um, and it's amazing because it's like, all these sell is frozen foods, but they're really delicious. And mm. um, they were great during COVID or, you know, when you need a quick meal because, it's, you know, you just kind of reheat it and it's uh, very easy to prepare. I thought something like that could do really well, perhaps. Um, and then when I was in the south of France and they're really known for olives and they have olive, olive-based olive cleaning products, which I thought Ooh. were very interesting because... Um, uh, I guess like olives have a, I don't know, they're, um, they have big cl- cleansing properties yeah. and it sort of seems like natural and it could be, um, 
I don't know, potentially it could be sort of better for you creating products. So that was something. I All right. Add. They're two great ideas. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on the show and for being so forthcoming with everything that you've learned and what you guys are doing. It's been awesome to chat with you. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jasmine. It was fun chatting. 